Las Vegas, famous, fabulous playground of the West. A wide open town that never goes to sleep. Vegas! Vegas, baby, Vegas! You're either in or you're out. Right now. My best mates are going to Las Vegas this weekend. I'm told it's incredible. Las Vegas, here we go! Pack your bags and get ready for a different kind of Vegas experience with someone who knows Vegas inside and out. You're listening to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi. Well, you know, if you're in the mob, you'll always take a chance of having to walk that last mile. And then you got a last meal. Or you could have a last meal with nothing to do with the law, but nonetheless, it's going to be your last meal. It's going to be really important. And who understands that better than our good friends Wayne Klingman and Roger Galizzi? And Roger is with us today. Now, Roger and I, we've talked about food. We're two Italian guys. We like it. Roger's going to sit in with us today and talk a little about this. So first of all, where did you guys get the idea of that? I mean, I know you like to cook, but what a great idea. So Wayne and I have collaborated on a book before, as you know, on the Las Vegas skim and the mobs uh, uh, absconding with probably upwards of a billion dollars in uh, non-taxed money from uh, Las Vegas casinos. And so simultaneously to the book on the the skim in Las Vegas, I have done a book um, on family recipes from Calabria, Italy. And so... The two sort of seemed to match a little bit, and we were talking about food one day, and, and the, the scene from The Godfather came up where uh, Fat Clemenza is trying to teach um, Michael Corleone how to make uh, tomato sauce uh, because they were going to go, or at that time they were, as the, the saying goes, they were uh, going to the mattresses because there was going to be an uh, inter-gang war in uh, New York. Uh, in the 40s, and so uh, that's how the whole idea sort of started. I remember in Goodfellas, they have a scene where they're in prison, and they're actually cooking all the time, and they were saying the food was great. Yeah. So, and I know, you know, we talked last time, and just the fact that you mentioned Parmesan cheese, uh, okay, I go, okay, this guy understands how important that is, because for other people, it's just a, a, like a condiment, but for people like ourselves, you know, you can make a whole meal on that, right? And so. Oh, yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, Parmesan cheese, and then uh, Pecorino Romano is uh, right up there on the list as well. Oh, that sounds terrific. Well, first of all, let's re- re- tell people and we'll remind them again later. It's called Whacked, so it's easy to remember Whacked, but you got to go a little deeper with that. Whacked, 50 killer recipes for going to the mattresses. Because you'll see a lot of books on Whacked and so forth, but uh, this is specific. It's a great book, and it's just got a lot of wonderful recipes. So before we get into that, uh, let's just talk about your background, Roger. You come from a family where this was a big thing, and they were all looking for you to kind of keep that heritage. Because all Italians, we have our own sauces, we have certain things that are experts, we trade recipes. So, how you know? How did you get into this? So, I, um, of all my cousins, uh, I spent the most time with my grandparents. Um, every summer, my parents would drop me off um, to my Italian grandparents, and so I watched my grandmother cook. Um, every day, three meals a day. And then on Sundays, of course, all the family came over for the big Sunday supper. And so as we all grew older, uh, everybody went their separate ways. And now we're all in our 50s, 60s, and 70s, and 80s, all of my cousins. And 
during COVID, we started doing Zoom meetings together just to get together. And people start talking about food and recipes and how did Nana make this and well, which was Nono's favorite dish. And um, I was the only one who knew anything. So um, I decided to start a um, Google Doc and uh, share it with everybody. And then I thought everyone else said they would share what they remembered. And, of course, nobody did. So I thought, well, let's just take down the Google Doc and I'll publish a book. So I published a book called Family Wanderings, um, Italian Wanderings, the Galizzi Family Cookbook. Italian Wanderings, the Galizzi Family Cookbook. And it's available on eBay. Um, I self-published it. And it was really meant to be just a book for my family. Um, but there's been a general interest in it, uh, at least here in Las Vegas. Uh, and so that has quite a few recipes in it, all recipes from my childhood. And then um, recently I've been working on a second book called uh, Wednesday Night at Roger and Jim's. And this is the book that uh, is full of recipes that I discovered while I was researching the first book. And so it's called Wednesdays at Roger and Jim's because Wednesday night is when I invite friends over to taste the foods, and they give me the thumbs up or the thumbs down as to whether or not it's worth putting in a cookbook. That cookbook will be coming out probably at Christmas time um, uh, this year. The first cookbook, Italian Wanderings, will be on Amazon hopefully within a couple of months. Um, I'm going to reformat the book so that it's available um, in a more accessible format on Amazon rather than um, on eBay. And I want to send a message out to our listeners. You know, everybody needs a great Italian cook. And if you weren't fortunate enough to grow up like we were in Italian families, you might not know it and you just enjoy it from restaurants. But these things are amazing and you can do it yourself. And I know Roger knows what he's talking about. These things are great. And, you know, you can start with whacked. This book is is kind of tongue-in-cheek, but, but the recipes are real and they're fantastic. So I kind of wanted to go through... Uh, this with you and go through kind of the Italian meal because you kind of that's the way it's kind of set up in the book and you know so you start out with an aperitif now what is an appropriate you know again that's very Italian it's a nice way before you start the meal to kind of get your palate ready for it what do you recommend so um, in Italy um, the most popular aperitivi for drinking is probably um, either a Negroni or an Aperol Spritz um, Aperol Spritz is probably the most popular drink by far. Um, Aperol Spritz is um, Aperol, which is a, a digestive liqueur, I guess you'd call it. And then it's mixed with soda water, a little bit of soda water, a splash, and uh, Prosecco. And it's got a nice, nice bright orange color, and usually there's a nice wedge or slice of orange in it. It's very refreshing. It's kind of an acquired taste, isn't it, though? I mean, you know, it isn't something you immediately would go for, but once you get used to it, you like it. Yes, it is. Um, it's a little unique, and it's, there's nothing like it in the American palate. We don't have a drink similar to it in America. Uh, but the Aperol Spritz is probably the most uh, popular cocktail. The second one would be the Negroni, which most people have heard about in the United States. Um, Negroni, my recipe for Negroni is... Uh, uh, a little bit stronger than than most, but it's also a drink that uh, is made with Campari, uh, red vermouth, uh, and gin. 
Yeah, and uh, it's, it's worth a try. Most people see the Campari, they, they think of the artwork where it's it's on the umbrella and so forth, but uh, a lot of people haven't tasted it. So, Right. At any rate, you get ready for that. That That's wonderful, but you're ready to sit down. Now, I love it. You have a lot of antipasta, and I think it's such an important thing. You know, for most people that aren't really familiar with these big Italian meals, they can, they can make a meal on this alone, but... Kind of talk about what a good, and I mean, I guess also antipasta is one of those things where you can set up that tray kind of any way you want. Yes, it's uh, if you have a large tray or a, a large uh, uh, cutting board, you, it's a it's a blank canvas to paint on. And uh, in um, before the European Union was created, uh, it was more common in Italy to see large antipasti uh, tables at the front entrance of restaurants um, to go into, and you could look and see them. They were all pretty much at room temperature, and they were set out for uh, lunch and for dinner, and there would be 15, 20 different uh, antipasti dishes there, and you could pick from them and serve yourself, and that would be part of the meal. Um, Or you'd notice them when you went in, and in finer restaurants you would just say what you wanted, and the uh, waiter would uh, put them on a plate for you. But um, it's actually my favorite part of the meal. I like uh, all the antipasti uh, uh, probably more than any other part of the meal, maybe except for pasta. But um, uh, I think there, there's just such a huge variety of flavors that you can do with all these antipasti recipes. And so if you live in a big city in particular with some sort of a, a, like an Italian section, a good deli is really helpful with this, right, to get really the best stuff. Yes, a good deli that has a cold case. And a hot case would have great uh, antipasti. And uh, Las Vegas is uh, a city that's fortunate enough to have several of those kinds of um, uh, delicatessens or Italian markets uh, located throughout Las Vegas Valley. Yeah, it, it, Vegas is great. And some of the restaurants that do a good job of it too, don't they? Yes, absolutely. My uh, favorite, of course, is the Italian American Social Club of Southern Nevada the IAC, or the Italian-American Club, as it's called, and um, they have fantastic antipasti. My favorite is probably uh, stuffed peppers, which Mm -hmm. the recipe is in the book here, and I think uh, also a fried eggplant uh, are two wonderful ones, but they have an incredible variety. Yeah, and I had, I believe it was a Carbone, the homemade mozzarella. And if you ever have, like, table-side mozzarella made, I love mozzarella in any way, shape, or form, but... That's particularly interesting, isn't it? You know, and I know they do that with ricotta too, and so forth. Uh, if you you have the time, it's wonderful. Yeah, it's uh, one of the it's one of the cheeses you can make at home, and there's nothing better than uh, savoring that when it's freshly made. And then what about the bread there? Because you, you kind of need a good bread, right? Uh, yeah, I think like a either a garlic bread or um, you know something a crostini, crostini, you know, what have yeah. you. A crostini or a bruschetta would be, uh, a grilled bruschetta would be great. Uh, of course, you know, um, I think everyone would admit that uh, traditional Italian meals are rather um, carbohydrate heavy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so often, often bread isn't served with um, every Italian meal. Um, I think in politer societies, um, bread is served less often because bread um, in less polite societies is uh, used as a scarpetta to soak up sauce. Right, right. And um, 
polite society doesn't do that. I think polite society is making a big mistake. That's one of the I, great things. <laughs> I 100% agree they're making a big mistake. And I like uh, uh, having a little bit of bread uh, just to do that with the sauce. Absolutely. And that's another thing. As you go through this book and you see, oh, my God, look at all this different food. Which one do you pick? Well, realize we grew up in families where... All of this stuff, I mean, not every every item, but all of the, you know, antipasti, we're going to get into pastas, that that was there. And then the meal came out. Sometimes you bring a friend or something that wasn't familiar with the Italian meal. That could be quite a surprise to get that main entree when you just ate a big plate of some sort of pasta that was wonderful. Yes, I'll tell you a little story. Um, I, I, I took uh, someone to an Italian wedding, a traditional Italian wedding. It was held at the Casa Italiana in Los Angeles. Uh, on North Hill Street in what was still is the last vestige of what was Little Italy in Los Angeles. And uh, the meal came out, and there was an antipasti plate for every person. And uh, you could actually take all the, the meats and the vegetables and make a sandwich out of it, so to speak, with a hard roll that was also on the plate. Uh, and then came out these huge platters of um, mostacholi with sauce. Mm. And, of course... Most people think of a pasta as an entree in the United States. And so uh, my friend ate all the pasta he could and he ate everything on his antipasti uh, plate. And then after that came out the main course, which was at this time was fried uh, pork chops uh, with vegetables. <laughs> and uh, it was just enormous. And then, of course, uh, following that, um, you had dessert. And so people were... Uh, my friend was just shocked when he saw another plate of food coming out, the real entree. And, of course, if you're going to do a traditional Italian meal that has um, all the courses, your portions are going to be really small, including the um, the secundi, the, the main course. Um, a much smaller piece of meat if you have meat or a much smaller piece of fish if you have fish. Well, yeah, and that's one thing you, when you go to Italy, you realize, yeah, that they're eating a lot of different things, but it's not these huge portions. I guess that was the American side that came in, you know, being in America, those Sunday meals that you're talking about. There was so much food there. It was unbelievable. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I wanted to talk with you, okay, so we took pastas the next thing, all this to pastas, and... I love what the book does because I think the book is really good for somebody who wants to dabble because you didn't just go with the red sauces like a lot of people think. I mean, you have those in there and they're wonderful, you know, marineras and meat sauces, which are different things. But you also have like pesto, which I think is really underappreciated. It, people are talking about it more these days, but it's really kind of underappreciated. You got the fettuccine Alfredo, which, you know, again, if you don't have any heart issues, it's a wonderful thing. Let me tell you. Yeah, I think um, uh, in this book, I tried to put in the pasta dishes that were um, accessible, not too difficult, but were a really uh, good variety. For, I mean, everybody's familiar with uh, uh, pasta and clams and uh, uh, fettuccine alfredo and things like that. But um, And, of course, fettuccine alfredo in Italy is not called fettuccine alfredo. It's called fettuccine al burro, um, and it has nothing to do with this gloopy white stuff that they serve in America, um, but it's a, a fine dish of um, butter and cheese. Um, but I also put in some dishes that I think people uh, probably would never think of making, uh, some of the dishes with cream sauce, and um, I did put in my family recipe for uh, pesto, which um, wonderful to make if you grow your own basil in the summertime. It's just fantastic. 
So a couple of different things in here, and my family, my family's recipe for marinara sauce, which is um, a little bit different um, than any other families in the sense that, well, I should say that almost every family has their own Absolutely. sauce. <laughs> that, that is germane to their family only, and it's different. People can have arguments over what should be in a marinara sauce and what shouldn't be, but my family's, the way I put the recipe together here is the way I had it for uh, 65 years. Yeah, and I think it's a great place for people to start if you want to start with one. I would start there because that's kind of like the foundation. And you get that down, then that can go on just about anything. I mean, that sauce is a wonderful thing, you know. It doesn't have to be any kind of pasta. And that, in fact, that brings up a question. What do you recommend for people? I mean, some of these are obvious where it says, you know, fettuccine, okay, and you see spaghetti and what have you. Uh, as far as the other shapes, uh, any ideas on that, or is that just this stuff works with everything? Um. I try to do the the pasta shape that matches the sauce the best. But in my family, the most popular sauce, or rather the most popular uh, pasta noodle was uh, mostacholi, which um, sometimes is, it's like penne regatte, but it doesn't have the little ridges. Uh, that's the favorite one of ours. You can't find it everywhere, so I order it online to in five-pound quantities. It's my favorite uh, pasta shape. Oh, it's wonderful. Now, the one thing you left out, and I understand the reason for it, because you were talking, you wanted to keep it simple, is ravioli. People may notice that, but I know that was like a, a two-day deal that took forever. It had a special kind of table for it. There was a lot to that. It's not an easy thing to uh, prepare. That's correct. So my my cookbook does have a recipe for uh, making homemade ravioli, and it uh, is, I think, three pages long. Yeah, right. <laughs> and it's it's difficult, and you have to have the right equipment, and it's probably really intimidating. But I will tell you, because my family is from Calabria, uh, ravioli was the only time I ever saw my grandmother uh, make fresh pasta. Yeah, yeah, that was a thing. I, th the same thing with my grandmother, and it was that whole deal. Like, it was a certain wood table, and she wouldn't dream of making it anywhere else. If that table wasn't there, there wasn't going to be no ravioli. Right, right, absolutely. Um, <laughs> every every other kind of pasta ever used in my family was always uh, dried pasta. And, yeah. uh, and, of course, there are, I, I kind of make that point in the book that uh, there's this misconception that Fresh pasta is superior to dried pasta. And in fact, in some of the recipes, most of the traditional classic Roman recipes, like uh, uh, pasta alla carbonara, um, you're supposed to use, the recipe specifically calls for dried pasta. Cacio pepe is another one as well um, that requires dried pasta. And so I don't think... Um, everybody's aware that this whole trend of we make our fresh pasta is really necessarily um, authentic. Uh, there are some other dishes, though, that require uh, fresh pasta, and so that's important to remember. You know, it's funny you say that because that was the same way I know my relatives looked at it the same, the same exact way, and they thought it was silly to do that kind of thing that is not necessary. It was just basically to sell the pasta makers. And uh, I always kind of wondered about that. you know. And the other thing was where they used to serve, if you recall, just like a plate of pasta and then pour the sauce over the top so it was just kind of on the top. 
at least in my family, it was like, oh, no, you mix that stuff together. If you want to put extra on top, that's fine. But it wasn't uh, – was, was that the same in your family? Oh, yeah, yeah, always. Pasta was always mixed with the sauce and then served on big platters. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and that's why this stuff, you know, what's great about this stuff, not only does it taste wonderful when you have the meal, the leftovers are incredible because the sauce just kind of makes a home in that pasta. It's wonderful. Yeah, you know, I try to make my sauce uh, two or three days, my marinara sauce, two or three days in advance because I think it tastes better when you serve it after it's all, everything's mixed together real well. I know by this time everybody's drooling. I wish we could have this special 3D uh, podcast and radio report that had uh, smell, smell of vision or whatever. But yeah. uh, anyway, okay, so let's go to the next, and that's what we we think of as an entree. You know, you were talking about it, and and again. Nice variety in here, Roger. I mean, you look at this, you got everything from steak pizziola. Steak pizziola is a wonderful thing that a lot of people maybe aren't familiar with, but it's a really good Italian dish, and boy, when you get a taste for that, it's a different way to eat steak. Yes, um, it's supposedly uh, Frank Sinatra's favorite dish to order at the Golden Steer restaurant on Sahara uh, and Las Vegas Boulevard uh, in Las Vegas. And uh, so they have it there. Some people even call it uh, uh, Steak Frank, Frank Sinatra. Um, it's wonderful, and it's, um, it's called pizzaola because it uses all the same ingredients that uh, pizza sauce has, but it's in a little rougher form, and it's, uh, the steak is uh, grilled and put uh, in the sauce, and it's just magnificent. Wow. And then there's brujul. A lot of people don't know what that is, and I, I know everybody, all the different dialects pronounce it differently, but uh, it's a rolled meat, and again, the real Italians will always tell you, you can always tell if you have one guy taking the lead on that, they'll usually get that. Oh, yeah. If, if there's a meat platter of, of sausage and meatballs and uh, Brajol, the brajol I would go for first of all, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, there's some great chicken cacciatore, which is the way Italians eat chicken. It's wonderful. You got sausage and peppers, which is great. Another one of the, my dad used to say these were food for the gods. It's just wonderful stuff. But when you have it in there, and I'm just kind of surprised you had it in there, as I see bolognese sauce, which I love. Are you talking about with that, just making the sauce? Because I always associate that with pasta. So the bolognese sauce is a meat sauce, and often if there is meat in the sauce, um, it will be uh, used as an entree. So uh, in more traditional Italian families, if they were to cook meat in a sauce, they might take the meat out and just use the sauce for the primi or the pasta course, and then serve the cooked meat, the meat that was cooked in the sauce, as the main course. Is this a, uh, a case, too, of the bolognese where you use different types of meat? I mean, I usually I always see that. Uh, do, you, do you have one? Of, some people use pork, veal, uh, ground beef, turkey, whatever. Yeah, so as some people think bolognese sauce is just like a little bit of ground beef. Um, this recipe that I use is I do use um, ground chuck roast, and I, gr- I grind it by hand Wow. Um, in, my gr- in my meat grinder. Um, and I think it's the best version, but there are versions that put in um, pork. My version does have pancetta put in it as well, and it's a quarter-pound pancetta to uh, one-and-a-half pounds of chuck roast, so it's a pretty good amount of pork in there. I think yeah. it has a good, rich, a good richness to it, and the fat uh, is just unctuous when it uh, melts into the sauce. 
Oh, that's fantastic. That that that's a uh, you know, there's a lot of different ways you can do it, but that is wonderful, especially ground grind your own meat. Now you've also got a section on uh, vegetables, and uh, again, Italian vegetables probably a little different. I mean, fried eggplant and batter. You know, if you don't think about the vegetable part too much, it's more like, it's like an entree in and of itself. It's wonderful. It's like cutlets. Yes. Um, of course, eggplant, in my family, eggplant's like a, one of the more traditional vegetables. Egg, eggplant, cauliflower, tomatoes. Swiss chard is something we always grow in the garden here. I've done it for almost all of my life. Uh, you can grow it in uh, California uh, all year round. You just cut off the leaves and more grows back, so it's great. We always had a lot of Swiss chard and uh, fennel as well. And uh, so the one thing I didn't um, uh, want to put in here but ended up putting in here were the stuffed artichokes mm. because I feel that um, that's a really difficult dish to make. Um, it's probably the most elaborate um, dish that um, Italians make uh, for a vegetable. I tried to make it the recipe as easy as possible, but I still think it might frighten people a little bit. Once you've done it for a few times, it, it becomes easy to do, but there's nothing better than a stuffed artichoke in my mind. Yeah, that's pretty good. And this is the guy's last meal, you know. And one other thing in there that, again, if you're not familiar, you may not have heard of it, the, the beans and the tomato and sage sauce, something that's really Italian. Yes. Yeah, I don't think people associate beans um, with Italian food cooking because you just don't see it in uh, a lot of restaurants here in the United States, but it's a, it's a main staple of uh, Italian cooking. Now, you mentioned fennel before, and that's one thing about Italian cooking, fennel, and then in the desserts, which we're going to go into now, anise, it's one of the very licorice flavors. So if you don't like licorice, you might want to stay away from those. Yeah, I use it, um, I use it in a variety of dishes, and uh, you can yes, you can taste the, the, the fine um, fennel flavor, which is licorice-like, uh, but it's not, I don't, I mean, I personally don't think it's too intense, uh, but it's one of my favorite vegetables to saute. Well, you've got cookies here, which all, amaretto cookies are wonderful, anise cookies, and you even have an, an icing recipe from your uh, grandmother's uh, uh, anise cookies. Uh, but one thing, I noticed the cheesecake, and it's got raisins and pine nuts. And people don't realize, but Italians use raisins a lot, don't they? I mean, it's, it's some for sweeteners and so forth. Yeah, uh, the further south you go, uh, you find more people using raisins in their cooking. And in Sicily, in, in particular, uh, raisins are used a great deal. And I think that's the influence of uh, the Middle East and uh, North Africa. And let's close on uh, this last wonderful dessert, mascarpone cream. A lot of people aren't familiar with it, and you owe it to yourself to try it. Absolutely. Um, there's a couple of, um, uh, I think I go in between the two cookbooks, there's oh, dozens of recipes. Italian cheesecake, I think, is really approachable. I think if, if you get Italian cheesecake in an authentic Italian restaurant, it's really, really good. Um, and this is a really good representative recipe, but it does have the raisins and pine nuts in it. I don't know. I think the desserts are just fabulous. Of course, a lot of Italian families, the best dessert is fresh fruit. Yeah, exactly. And, and after eating all the heavy foods, heavy carbs and so forth, like the pastas and so forth, fruit is kind of a nice offset, you know, just kind of refreshing and what have you. Yep, absolutely. And it's lighter. And then, of course, after that, you're going to have some anise sets or you're going to have some limoncello. 
enjoy the after uh, the after dinner time. Yeah, that's always an interesting thing. If you go to really an authentic Italian restaurant, they'll bring out the cart and they have these different uh, things. And again, it's not meant to uh, drink a big glass or something. It's just meant to sip and to kind of finish off the meal, kind of like a fine cigar. Yes. So in my recipe uh, books, in my cookbooks, I have a recipe for uh, limoncello, and then I also have a recipe for homemade anisette. And uh, we offer it uh, to our guests at every meal in the evening. And uh, it's everyone enjoys it a great deal. want to leave with one last thing, Roger, and that is uh, what I think a good fellow they were talking about. One of the secrets was... Uh, one of the guys used to slice the garlic so super thin with the razor, and that was part of it. Is there any uh, little hint you have that can really kick up uh, Italian cooking for somebody? Is there something that you do that you found really improves the overall uh, the overall finish? I think uh, fresh herbs probably make the biggest difference. If you have fresh oregano in the house, if you have fresh sage, uh, always fresh parsley, I think that makes a huge difference in um, uh, in your cooking fresh basil. I don't know. I mean, I don't know why people buy dried basil. It confounds me. Yeah, um, it's easy to get. I mean, it's not like it's hard to find, right? Yeah, and there it isn't the it isn't the same. I mean, you could say that dried sage and fresh sage are similar in taste, but there's no relationship between dried basil and fresh basil, just not at all. You're right. And the only thing you have to do is yeah, you don't want to let it sit around like you, you keep dried basil in the closet. You can't do that. you got to use it when you get it. But uh, right. other than that, you know. Well, you yeah. gotta get you gotta get this book. I mean, you you've heard it. If you're not drooling by now, you really don't like food. This is incredible. It's by our old buddy uh, Roger here, and he did it with Mister Big. And the book is called Whacked: Fifty Killer Recipes for Going to the Mattresses. It's just out, and you can get it on Amazon. Is that right, Roger? That's correct. It's on Amazon on, in uh, Kindle format, and it'll soon be in um, uh, softback for everyone. Can't wait to get it. We'll talk again, Roger. Thank you so much. Okay. Thank you, Steve. Ciao. Hey, remember to follow Vegas Never Sleeps on all social media platforms, including Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And thanks for listening today. This is Stephen Maggi, once again reminding you, Vegas Never Sleeps. Vegas, here we go! Are you tired of high cable TV rates? Sign up for Dish today and get a $500 bonus offer while supplies last. Plus, lock in your price for two years guaranteed. Call All American Dish, your Dish authorized retailer now. 800 344 2066. 800 344 2066. That's 800 344 2066. Offers require credit qualification, 24 month commitment, early termination fee, and e auto pay. Restrictions apply. Call for details. Holy Gentle Giants Dog Food Batman. I'm Burt Ward, Robin from the Batman TV series. I was the caped crusader, and now I'm the canine crusader. After rescuing and feeding 15,500 dogs for 23 years, my wife and I created a natural, low-fat, heart-healthy, made-in-America dog food and special feeding and care program designed to help all dogs live amazingly longer, healthier, happier lives. Our dogs are living as long as 27 healthy, active years. 
Yours can too. That's twice their normal lifespan and triple for some breeds. Would you like your dog to live as long as 27 years and still be active and healthy? Gentle Giants Dog Food is complete nutrition for all dogs and puppies, all ages and sizes, and is different from other dog foods without the greasy coating and high fat content that can shorten your dog's life. Try our Gentle Giants life-enhancing dog food for the longer, healthier, happier life of your dog. Now you can get generic Viagra shipped to your door for about $2 a pill. Get the same impact for less. Call Steel Man Pills now and get the same blue pill for about $2 a pill. Call now for the 50-pill special and save even more. Plus, get a free bonus. 800-870-3609. 800-870-3609. 800-870-3609. That's 800-870-3609. Greece is cheap. But the airfare costs a fortune. Paris? Not much closer. And again, airfare... What about Puerto Vallarta? Let's face it, flying anywhere is just too expensive. Wait, what's this? low-cost airlines with one call to low-cost airlines you'll drastically slash your travel costs we're talking insanely low airline prices to any of your favorite destinations where would you like to go london rome costa rica australia wow that's cheap so why wait call now to learn how crazy cheap it is to fly anywhere in the u.s or international our prices are so low we can't publish them the only way to get them is to call to instantly hear the most amazing best deals on airline travel it's that easy so call now and start packing call right now 800-267-1806 800-267-1806 800-267-1806 that's 800-267-1806 what is dedication i am the father of a nine-year-old little girl and a six-year-old little boy And I find fatherhood both relentlessly challenging and relentlessly rewarding. My daughter is biological and my son is adopted. I love them both so much. From the morning when you wake up to putting them to bed at night and every moment in between, it really is so special. And boy, is it exhausting. One thing that I fear about being a parent is the future for my children. I think a parent's job is to protect our children, but also prepare them for the world so they become good, kind human beings. But I'm also hopeful that the future holds a more inclusive and compassionate world for them. That's dedication. Find out more at fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. Do you owe the IRS $10,000 or more in back taxes? Are you being audited or investigated? Has the IRS sent you a letter demanding payment? You may not owe what they claim. Make this free call to the tax doctor now. Let them negotiate with the IRS on your behalf. Call 800-605-4650. 800-605-4650. That's 800-605-4650. 